The Legacy of Charity's Children Inspiration Do we know that we are remarkable when we are being remarkable? Do we... Should we pause to assess our impact on the planet, the positives and negatives of our existence? Defining self-awareness, cognizant of how you impact those who have the right to exist in the world around you. If and when in these small spaces of time that we allot for a self-reflection, do we marvel at our uniqueness and fortitude? Are we shamed by our weaknesses and transgressions? Having experienced the sting and the balm, when it is requested of us, should we not take the time to pour into the next human encounter knowledge from our journey, the pains, pleasures, and perspectives of our gift of life? I received more archives from Cousin Sharon, expertly packaged for their intended hand delivery. In a few quick glances, I am in tears at the sight, realizing that generations lovingly cherished and preserved these items so the next could tell a story difficult to refute, each generation doing the best they could to protect life experiences, perspectives, in words written and spoken. African Americans are accustomed to black history being deemed insignificant, challenged by academia, doubted and discounted, marginalized in historical society circles. We as a family, have been selective in telling our story and even more discriminating in sharing archives we have rescued throughout the generations. So I will not digress an explanation to an America that created in me this false reality with relentless mind-altering assertions of white supremacy. Bacon inferiority that ensures superiority and cultivates an enslaved mentality. It is a story my mother's children recite like the Lord's Prayer. In 1802, John Davis, an enslaved man from Louisville, Kentucky, brought his infant daughter Charity to the Miami Valley of Dayton, Ohio. Her mother was full-blood Cherokee. Because of this nativity, Charity would never be enslaved. Where our ancestors were estranged, the descendants of kings and queens, like flowers rising from
written and oral family histories tell us a young John Isaac Davis left Kentucky with his motherless child between 1802 and 1804, bringing his infant daughter, Charity, to the free Northwest Territory of Ohio. The terms of his freedom, whether escaping enslavement or emancipated, are not yet confirmed. Her mother, Native American Cherokee, was deceased, perhaps by smallpox or in childbirth, another uncertain. And we have no name for her, and there is no other information passed in our family history about this mother or her family. What we do know is in a bold and Afrocentric move to celebrate and shield a female child from certain bondage, John Isaac Davis navigated the nuances of slave laws to ensure his daughter's freedom. I'm going to take you to school for just a second. I've got a few illuminating contextual facts in American history that is your Black family history. Africans arrived in the Americas in 1619. Anything else is nonsense. The indigenous were enslaved in this country by invading Europeans until George Mason, in 1772, argued Robin V. Hardaway, a case led by a black woman. Now, you got to check it out on your own because Robin V. Hardaway established that individuals born to Native American mothers could could not be enslaved. Some tribes participated in the slave trade, the Cherokee among them, who were called the Five Civilized Tribes. Still, a black and indigenous child in the state of Kentucky was at risk of bondage. Without the protective presence of her indigenous mother, she could be enslaved. Now, in 1802, the year of Charity's birth, the abolition of slavery was written into the Ohio Constitution, and the territory was established in 1803 as the first free state. So, along with her maternal Cherokee lineage, the budding community along the Great Miami River would further insulate Charity's life of freedom. Intricate concepts of the time— so we surmise John Isaac Davis was astute, and Dayton, Ohio, as a purposeful choice, is almost certain. It was a settlement where the waters merged, the confluence of the Stillwater, Mad, and Great Miami Rivers. Founded around 1796, Dayton was raw, unforged land, harsh to the invasion of white settlers. Some came defying state constitutional law and utilized enslaved labor in the mostly undeveloped territory. Colonel Robert Patterson, while establishing himself as an abolitionist in Kentucky, brought the enslaved with him to the free territory. Moses, Sarah Ball, Ned, and Lucy Page are among those who built a homestead that exists to this day. 
land rights swindled from the indigenous were ambiguous and squatters were common. Even after the laborious task of road and home building during brutal seasons, homesteaders often abandoned claims that could potentially be challenged or even taken by wealthier settlers. As well, there was the constant watch and fear, the expectation that determined tribes led by Blue Jacket, Tecumseh, and Little Turtle were not going quietly into the night. Daunting times for blacks, for women, and especially the enslaved. Life did not stop for fatigue, failure, or fear. Home, shelter, your existence was dependent on land cleared of trees and brush, boulders busted to build fireplaces and chimneys, lumber milled for houses built of log and clay by your own hands. Contemplate 1796 life on Ohio's open plains. Food planted and harvested, preserved and prepared, determined the fate of the family. Every day, hauling 40, 50 wooden buckets of water from the muddy Miami River, cooking in cast iron kettles over open flames, stoked by wood she chopped to maintain the fires inside and outside of the home. Oh, it was not over. What you fed and watered determined what you ate and drank. Crops planted and harvested, livestock tended, and wildlife hunted determined the warmth in your belly and on your back. Add to these daily challenges, these life expectancies, the plight of womanhood. Now, Multiply that by the burden of blackness, hunted blackness. Sometimes I feel like a After arriving in Dayton, for reasons unknown, Charity's father, John Davis, went by the name Isaac. He began a family with Mary Johnston and was a Dayton Township property owner through the 1820s. Together, Isaac and Mary had five children, two daughters and three sons. We have identified names of two sons, Charity's half-brothers, Daniel, born 1806, and Evan Davis, born 1810. Isaac Davis married Mary Johnston in 1816. Near the time of this marriage, Charity became a child bride between 12 and 14 years old. Charity's great-granddaughter writes, This little girl, Charity Davis, grew up with the city of Dayton and married Mr. Caesar, a man who had children as big as she. 
common at the time, although not always legal, when barely a teen, one was considered a woman. Caring for children as big as she began a family legacy of loving and nurturing another mother's child. Charity and Randolph Caesar together had one son, Charles, though it is likely there were others who did not survive. There is nothing else in our family oral or written history about John Isaac Davis after he came to the town of Dayton. Our research is ongoing, inspired by the desire to pay homage to a man with Afrocentric sensibilities, who in 1802 sought to ensure the freedom, believed in the greatness and purpose of a female child. And we have discovered fascinating clues along the way. The Bardstown, Kentucky Saturday Gazette in 1855 reprinted an article on community remembrances of the 1782 attack at Fort Kinchelo Station in Nelson County, Kentucky. As the story goes, various indigenous tribes supported by the British attacked the station near Simpson Creek. The Gazette, in 1841, reported the accounts primarily from the memories of a survivor named Isaac Davis, the young son of Colonel Cornelius Davis. Colonel Davis died defending his family and Fort Kinchelo. His wife was the only person in the family of ten who escaped. Daughters were beheaded. Their young son Isaac, around six years old at the time, was captured. The article cites a large Negro man, perhaps a teen himself, who fought fiercely alongside the colonel. He is reported unaccounted for, believed killed with his enslaver. Not likely. Remember, Africans were a commodity for the Cherokee who were among the tribes that attacked at Fort Kinchelo. So it is probable this large Negro man was spared to sell, trade, or enslave. A similar fate awaited the white captives as well. Some captured at Kinchelo were held among tribes in the Detroit area until their purchase, escape, or rescue. However, in the case of young Isaac Davis, it was reported that he was cared for by an indigenous woman who, quote, treated him with maternal regard. Isaac later returned to Nelson County, Kentucky as a young man, continuing many lifestyle and customs of his adopted tribe, wearing indigenous clothing, even tattoos and piercings. He married in 1797 to a woman named Charity Bryant. Yes, the names in this Kentucky Davis family mirror names in our Davis family, a typical trend of the enslaved to utilize the familiar names of their enslavers for their own children. Then our research was inspired by an 1899 newspaper. The Dayton Daily News, in a column commemorating the life of Charity Davis Caesar Brody, indicates that she was 
one of, quote, the country's few native Africans. Did they get that right? What could this mean? Could John Isaac Davis have been a first-generation African in America? We do know this. Her mother was an indigenous American Cherokee, and her father intelligently ensured charity would never be enslaved. And she lived a bold and adventurous life that embraced and respected that freedom. Keep listening as we share the legacy of Charity's children. Next time on The Legacy of Charity's Children. Hunted blackness gives way to black codes, laws that challenged freedom in the free territory. Next time, the backdrop, the backstory to the attacks on Africatown. The Legacy of Charities Children is a production of The Legacy of Charities Children, LLC. All copyrights reserved. Reproduction and redistribution of The Legacy of Charities Children podcast without express written consent is prohibited. Charities Children is a trademark of The Legacy of Charities Children, LLC. Original scores by music director and engineer Jared Griffin. Producers Tamara Calvert and Jared Griffin. Project historian and researcher Sherry Gowdy. Oral history consultant Carolyn Lander. Marketing and publicity LaCris Brody Robinson Jordan. Additional voices provided by Elliot Imani and Daryl Griffin with Janetta Smith-Lang as Julia Galloway-Higgins and Charlest Moore-Sweet as Charity Davis Caesar Brody. These stories are derived from family oral and written histories and confirmed by historical records. I am Patricia Smith-Griffin, the fourth great-granddaughter of Charity Davis Caesar Brody, creator, writer, and executive producer. We are proud to share with you the legacy of Charity's children and hope that you are inspired to research and tell your black family story because there is value and there is validation in every family story.